Welcome to the Myths of Creation podcast. I'm your host, Xenia. Together, we will talk all things human design, creativity, and open our minds to new ways of seeing, being, and relating with the world around us. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, everyone. I decided because I got so bored writing out the answers to the most frequently asked human design questions that I'm just going to make this audio and hopefully that's helpful and works for folks. So let's start at the beginning. What is human design? Human design is a modality that takes the Chinese I Ching, Western astrology, the Kabbalah tree of life, quantum physics, and genetics and makes and the chakra system synthesizes one unique chart and the purpose of this chart is to show you your energetic blueprint so for example what you could learn is how do i prefer learning do i prefer to gather information do i prefer to try things myself am i someone who prefers to see and guide people do i like to do the doing Um, do i like to initiate things and get started it tells us all of these different attributes of our unique blueprint but what human design really does is it allows us to open up to the possibility that we can work with instead of against our nature. And it shows us where we have been. It's one of many lenses that shows us where we have been programmed to all be the same when actually we are all very different. So that is the broad what of human design. More specifically, human design was channeled, meaning it, it was. it's a mystical an esoteric language because it was received, (laughs) transmitted to a person named Robert Krakauer in 1987. And he was on a beach somewhere when he received this modality or transmission. And he then brought it out to the world. He changed his name to Ra Uruhu. And the reason I like to say this up front is because I've seen this discussed on the internet as this really controversial topic. Um, because it's like, oh, it's not that old and this person received this modality, but let me tell you something, right? So astrology is hugely popular. Some people believe it. Some people don't believe in it. Some people don't. If you're listening to me, you probably are more likely to understand or have a resonance with astrology and a resonance with human design. Do I think that something has to be resonant for everyone for it to be useful or true? No, I absolutely don't. I also feel like energy is one of those things where there are many different forms that all serve the same purpose or even have similar energy. And so I think of it like languages, right? Like there's not languages that are better than other languages. There might be some that feel more natural to you or feel more easy to you, or maybe you like the sound of, or maybe you're just more familiar with. And so I think of all of these modalities as languages, kind of asking what's better or worse or how things work. I don't think those are great questions. But in any case, I think it's kind of silly that people act like the fact that this um, modality was channeled in 1987, that that somehow makes it questionable because I often think about the ancient texts that we receive or, you know, the original teachings of the Buddha or even the original teachings of, say, like a Hildegard von Bingen, who was this Catholic mystic from the... 13th century who said she had visions of different things and worked with the plants and animals and nature. I also think about in my own indigenous lineage where some of the 
transmissions or meanings of particular deities or folklore with plants and animals comes from, right? People did not read these things in books. They were transmitted from somewhere. They received them in some way, either with observation and direct communication and working with those plants through imbibing them and respecting them and worshiping them. Or, right, with um, astrology, it's an ancient tradition. Like, where did our first concept of what Pluto does? Well, Pluto's not a good example because that's kind of a more modern planet. But, for example, the moon. When people started to decide the archetypes and constellations and map them out, when the first person decided what it means if the moon is in Cancer, that information is transmitted from somewhere, right? That that first inclination didn't come from a book. Who wrote the book? So in any case, human design, you know, this is not a secret. It's a channeled modality. It is super esoteric, but it has practical applications. And that's what it is. And the difference to me between human design and astrology, even though I am a huge lover and student of astrology, is that human design asks you to not believe in it, but instead experiment with it. And I love that skeptical part of it. It says, try it, see if it works for you, see if it makes your life easier in any kind of way, um, or helps you understand yourself and stop making things so hard for yourself. And then see if that resonates. And if not, let it go. And so because my type is a manifesting generator and I'm a 6'2", I can tell you for sure, um, like with human design, my strategy, your strategy in human design is based on your energy type and each type has a different instruction for how to move in the world so that they're creating less resistance and less mental confusion. And for me, my strategy is to respond. And what it means to respond is to allow life to present you with options and to really tune into your um, your own authority. In my case, my authority or how I best make decisions is emotional and use your authority to guide what's being presented to you. And that sounds so simple, but in my opinion, we're educated and socialized to become workers and laborers That's and consumers. That's the main programming we have. So actually, it takes quite a lot of practice and study to not try to make things happen using only the logical mind and or by following in the footsteps of what's already been done. That's a hugely um, deep thing to actually embody in life, although it's very simple to understand. And so human design offers this instruction. And I've seen in my own life when I actually stop forcing things and being so strategic that actually that works really, really well for me and things go really well for me when I act that way. So that's why I feel comfortable and confident teaching and sharing about human design because I have seen it work for me. Okay, so next question. Um, What exactly happens in a human design session? I can't speak for other people's sessions. There's a lot of different readers. I feel like similarly, um, you know, I think it's important to say that it's weird. Like people kind of like to say, they like to decide something about uh, a modality based on one single practitioner or one single experience, right? So someone will say like, I hate doctors because they had one doctor one time they didn't like, you know? Same goes for human design. Everyone is really different. You should really 
listen to what people have to say, get on their channels, listen to them talk, get a sense of their personality, just like you would any other practitioner and be like, oh, is this person resonant for me? So I can't speak for other sessions, but in my sessions, one, I consider human design to be like energy work. And even though it's all in the mind, what it actually does is it helps us get out of our heads and understand how our body works and how we can work with our own energy. And so I like to do a grounding meditation or exercise for about anywhere between three and eight minutes, depending. And then I allow you to record. And at that time, I will just start with the basics of the chart, depending on how familiar you are or not with human design. I'll encourage you to let me know if there's any particular situation or decision that you are trying to make or get clarity on at this time. And then if you're really, really interested in the chart itself, I will share my screen with you and point to all the little details and areas of the chart so that you can know what I'm talking about so I can empower you to go and learn about those things on your own if you're called to. But mostly, you will just be receiving information based on how your energy is sensitive to the world around you, the places where it runs consistently and subjectively, meaning for some people, for example, they have a very fixed and consistent thought thought system or pattern, while others don't. So we'll run through kind of the mechanics and things like that. And then I give you time to ask questions, whatever your questions may be, either technical or more life questions. And of course, again, I do encourage people to record because I think that the way I read, it's enough to really absorb over two to three months. And so that is what happens in a reading. I don't read your fortune. I don't try to make your decisions for you. I think that's really disempowering. But what I will do is give you my insight into what the chart says about your questions and my own personal take if it is appropriate and you're interested in uh in that feedback okay so then people ask with human design what what are the types that are compatible what energy type should i be working with and you know i think this question is really interesting i think it depends on if it's your first or second reading because i always think everything starts with us Um, it's much easier to think about what your own energy type needs and requires from the world in general um, before you start launching into who would my energy type work best with, right? Because we have to understand the context of ourselves a little bit before we're in relation to others. And I think that there are certain things that I know. Like, for example, I have observed many, many partnerships with a projector and a manifesting generator. Um, And I noticed that this can work really well because the manifesting generator is bursting with all these ideas and the projector is really good at guiding and helping the manifesting generator to simplify. However, think about that in a romantic relationship, right? Um, Projectors need to be invited to share what they see because that is how they know that the other person recognizes and values their perspective and also that the other person is open to receiving their guidance. So while that work is always applicable, right, it is important to understand this in relationships because if you're a projector and you have not been invited to share and the thing that you are talking about is not something that you have a both a vested interest in, 
So for example, if you cohabitate with someone and you have an opinion on how to share or design the kitchen, then I think you can absolutely volunteer your opinion because that's your space too. But if you have a thought on how your partner could better do a project at work, for example, or to how they could better complete a task that they are doing that is their task while it is at your home, I would think about waiting to be invited before offering, offering that. Um, another thing with compatibility is that if you are a manifester in a relationship, there is a sense of independence and freedom that you may always want to maintain no matter what. And so it's really important for you that the other person, your partner, is comfortable allowing you to be self-steering in a lot of ways, but it is also important for you to use your strategy of informing them of what you are doing so that they don't feel the need to control you or feel threatened by your independence. So that's just like a tip for specifically with manifestors. I know that the technicalities of human design, that when, when you're looking at partnership charts, what, what the charts want to do are complete each other. So we actually, from a human design perspective, we are attracted to opposites in a way. And we are able to look at a chart and when you have the same line as someone colored in or a channel, that is the basis of friendship. That is the basis of platonic friendship. So those are the places where you and a partner are like, wow, we can really understand this because we're both running this similar energy. And the places where you complete each other's channels and what that means is you have a number on the chart that's colored in, say for example, I have 11 and across the way from that 11, someone else has the 56, which would complete that line or color in that line. And if this is going over your head, just skip it. But people ask me this question a lot, so I'm gonna tell you. That means we have an electromagnetic connection. We have a connection where we complete something together that we cannot do on our own. And so that's really, really interesting. The other thing I would say in partnerships that I think is really interesting and useful um, is that I always like to look at the diamond in the center of the chart called the G-Center because I believe that when you have an undefined G-Center, it's really, or white, it's colored in white for you, it's really important to have a context um, outside your romantic relationships or see other people or go to other places because there is, or if you're a reflector, there's such a tendency to mirror other people. So they can kind of see you in them and you can over-identify with them. Um, whereas when you, you're really designed to, to be able to float around and have different roles with different people. Um, so those are kind of my relationship tips, but I am not a big fan of um, having compatibility types with human design um, with human design types just because I think that it's really restricting and you know yourself best and sometimes you're in a relationship that is really challenging but you had to learn something in that relationship so I don't like to take that away from people but what I do like to say is um, looking at where you are filled in and your partner is not lets you know the places in which you may be expecting them to behave like you and they are just not meant to be similar to you okay and so that is about the question of partnership. Another question I get all the time is, 
what is the best job for me according to human design? Sorry, I just had to plug my phone in if you heard that sound. So in my opinion, it is really, really unhelpful to talk about um, career choices in human design and life purpose as if they're the same thing. They are not the same thing. Our life purpose is here to learn and expand and grow in different ways. Some of us do that by having relationships. Some of us do that by uh, being a parent. Some of us do that by creating our own companies or being an integral part of our community. Like we have so many different reasons for being on the planet outside the capitalistic sort of societal structure of status and money and achievement. So I think what's really helpful are looking at your energy type in terms of the way you like to work instead of what you do for work. So for example, if you're manifesting generator, which I am, it's really simple to understand a couple things. One is you're gonna wanna do a couple different things, meaning have a couple different hustles. I have always had a few different jobs because it's just so boring to me to go to one place over and over again, except when I'm working for someone who wants me to do a lot of different projects. I had a full-time job where I was working as someone's photo assistant and just basically their only full-time fashion writer for a digital magazine in the early 2000s before digital magazines were even a thing. And it was awesome because they let me produce shoots. I got to style some shoots. I got to write about um, the new Pope and how that impacted this local flea market in the East Village in New York City. I got to do a million different things even though I had one job. So that's an example of how I work being very tied to my energy type but not the content of my work. So if you're a projector, I think what's really important is to look at if you're mastering a system or a niche, number one. Number two, are you working in such a way where you're creating efficiency gains and efficiency or energy tweaks and efficiency gains and you are guiding the overall design or picture without doing the actual day-to-day -day data entry and system maintenance. Um, if you're a projector, there's usually a love of working one-on-one -on -one with people because you can see into the other really clearly. Um, however, I also noticed that because projectors are meant to have a lot of time to just contemplate their perspective and research and study, they also need to work in a way where they're not constantly hustling. So a lot of projectors do really well when they teach group coaching, group programs, or they have passive income by way of a digital offering that people can download or any kind of offering. Maybe you wrote a book and you just make you know royalties on the book or music that you created. So with projectors, they like to work with some form of passive income, some form of looking at the big picture. Manifestors in their jobs, I would like to say, just need a lot of autonomy and independence. They need a lot of, uh, to work in an environment where there's not a lot of control drama, where people trust them to get what they need to do done. They also are not here to do the day-to-day -day or the digging, so they really want to be the one to get things going and initiate things, but not necessarily have to take something from start to finish without support because they're not designed to do that. What they really want is the freedom to pursue their creative internal impulses and people around them that are interested in what they're doing who want to help and join and support or guide them. Then with reflectors, reflectors are really interesting. I've had many, many reflector clients. They're all incredibly different. 
With reflectors, they are the most likely to merge with their environment. So what matters most to a reflector are a couple things. One, they want to feel really included and part of a community and like they're really, really valued. And when they feel valued, like they're asked about how they're doing and they're invited to actually tell the truth about, you know, oh, you know, I noticed this one area of our company is really uncomfortable or I noticed this feels a little bit unhealthy to me over here. When people take that into account, they're giving the most almost objective view of what is going on for the for everyone. So for reflectors, they want to be included. They want to be in the center of a group of people that ask their advice and opinions. And they also be, want to be working in such a way where they're enjoying who the environment they're reflecting. There's an element of being able to shape shift and change and experience a lot of difference in the work they're doing. So, you know, I have reflector clients who are working in fields that are very competitive and very, um, very, very dynamic. So it's not that they can't work in whatever field they want. It's just about is there an element of surprise here? Do I like what I'm reflecting? Do I like these people? Do I like this environment? And are they interested in asking me what I see and what I'm noticing? Do they respect and understand when something doesn't feel right to me? Do they give me time to make decisions? And then, you know, generators, I think the most important thing with generators is they usually do have a passion that they are, have that they have the patience to, master in some way and the thing is what I notice with generators is that they need to work in such a way where they allow things to come to them to respond to and they need to feel enlivened by the work that they are doing they need to feel like literally they get energy from that activity or that work I don't care if that energy that activity is dressing your kids up in clothes that you think is really exciting you know, like whatever it is you're really excited about. The biggest thing that gets in generators way to me is that they don't, they've already kind of ruled out the things they have a passion for um, most of the time that they're really struggling because they've told themselves that's not a viable option when actually it is a viable option. Um, so with generators, the work that you do has to be something where you are... Yeah, you're enlivened by your contribution. You're satisfied by what you're doing. You're fulfilled by what you're doing. And you you have this um, ability to say yes and say no at your job without retribution, you know? Not that, like, you're insubordinate or something like that if you're working for someone, but just that you can tell people when something, you know, there's a little bit of leeway or flexibility in the projects you take on and the role you take on and you don't live in a work in a culture where you are constantly expected to say yes. Um, so I think that's all of the energy types and job. I think that that is a common question. So yeah, I think one time, once in a while I hear, you know, I think for me, the most important questions that people ask me is at the end of a reading, they ask me, what do I do now? Like you just told me all this information and I'm not really sure what to do. And it's true. I like to read people the way I like to be read. So I like to give them a lot to chew on. But the only things that really move the needle in life are learning your strategy and authority first. These are the lived embodied basics 
of human design and when we try to skip over them because we want to learn every little thing about our chart intellectually but we're not actually doing doing anything with that information I think it just becomes something that was fun that you learned one time and then you put it on a shelf nothing actually changes and that's okay maybe that was your journey with it and that was how it was meant to happen but for me if you're using this as a tool for transformation and opening up to making your life easier to the possibility that your life could be easier then I think it's all about your strategy so like for example if you're a generator, a manifesting generator, your strategy is to respond, which means that you have to let life come to you in some kind of way. You have to trust that you don't have to run out into the world and force things to happen because you read in the book that the seven steps to success are one through seven. Listen, like I've been in business incubators with really amazing business people, I went to a traditional, I mean, I went to a university. It wasn't a traditional university, but I've been in academia. I've been in all the things. They really do make you feel like you've got to do these proactive steps in life and force things into being. And if you're not doing them, and if you're doing them and nothing's happening, then it's just your fault and just do them some more. And with our strategy of responding, what it says is, one, Are you engaging with what you love to do already embodied in 3D? So often people have things they love to do and they just don't do them. I love to write. I love to be in nature by water. I love children. I love to read. Like, I actually really believe it makes you more magnetic and your energy more clear when you're engaging with the stuff that enlivens you. It kind of fills up your battery, so to speak. So... Understanding what's showing up for you in the world that you're, and how you're responding to it would be step one, right? If you're a projector, your, your strategy is waiting to be invited. And that's not about creating your own work or starting your own business because those are, that's not you sharing or doing anything um, where you're delivering your gift or your perspective to someone. You wait to be invited on what it is, your perspective is, and the guidance that you have that's when you wait to be invited. If someone is following you on Instagram, you're already invited. If someone is on your newsletter, you're already invited. Um, but it takes a while because people will say like, "Can I? does this mean I can't apply for a job? And it's like, look, we live in the real, the real world. Like if you need to pay your rent and you, you have things to do, like do what you need to do to take care of yourself. I don't think it's really, really wise to try to um, transform and create deep, meaningful change when your survival needs are not yet taken care of. I think that's too, too, that's a very difficult ask of ourselves. But I think once you have those things taken care of, then you notice who is always asking your perspective. You know, who are those people that just like get you? Who makes you feel seen? And the more you lean towards those people instead of trying to prove yourself to the people who don't understand your value and who don't see the value in your perspective, the more invitations you get. And so I think that's really important. If you're a manifester, your strategy is to inform. The manifester is the only type that actually goes out into the world and just starts things, um, makes things happen, gets the ball rolling based on something internal instead of something external. But in order to remove unnecessary resistance and other people's... uh, 
other people's tendency to want to control and tell manifestors what to do. You inform people to get, get to, so that they can feel at ease and let you be. And so if you're a manifester, notice when you let people in on your big ideas and your big dreams. Think about the people you're impacting before you make a change and let them know what you're about to do. That is how you create less resistance. And then if you are a reflector, then your strategy is to wait 28 days or wait a whole moon cycle before you make a decision. And that's because reflector's energy is so changeable and is so different based on where the planets are in the sky, based on the cycles of the moon, that they need to basically allow themselves to be a to feel differently about that decision every day for 28 days. And while they're doing that, they meet with people they love and trust and talk things out just so they can hear themselves reflected back in other people. Not to necessarily force that advice onto themselves, but just to hear with their trusted people how what it is they're feeling on the day-to-day. So that in a way, they're kind of passively tracking how they're feeling about something through their conversations with the people they trust. So the strategy is really, really what to focus on. Like, what does it feel like in your body? What does it feel like in your life? Do you say no when you say when you mean no? Do you rush yourself? And then the other thing to look at is your authority. And I'm not going to get into every single authority, but I really, really think that leaning into what it actually means, those two pieces, can change your life. Like, If you're an emotional authority, for example, there's 50% of the population according to these statistics, which frankly are old, um, but but seem to be true based on uh, my observations. You, You need time to feel all your feelings about a particular situation so that you can understand the depth of your feelings and your emotional intelligence around that choice. And then you use your emotional depth and intelligence when you feel like you felt all of the feelings about that particular decision to decide what it is that you want to do. So you are actually meant to make emotional decisions, but only after you've gathered all your emotional data, all your emotional sensation, then you, that is when you decide, okay, yes, I'd like to move forward with this. And as someone who's an emotional authority, you know what? It's really uncomfortable making people wait. It's really uncomfortable being undecided. So it takes a while to practice just not rushing yourself. You know, not being a yes person if you're used to always saying yes. Not being a no person if you're used to always saying no. And instead, just allow yourself to be open to what your emotions have to tell you without rushing. So I won't get into every single authority, but it's really important to listen back to your readings if you've already had one or do some research And really focus on what that means in the day-to-day because it actually, it's life-changing. Like it really, really is life-changing to understand that maybe there's nothing wrong with you and that if you just follow these suggestions that your life can have a lot less resistance. Personally, I have found this to be very, 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 very effective. And yeah, I think those are the top FAQs for today. I would love to hear from you if you have more questions and thank you so much for joining me. I hope this was helpful and useful to you and please, please do 
send me your human design questions to at myths of creation that's myths of creation with an s says in sam plural on instagram or you can email me my first name xenia x-e-n as in nancy i-a at myths of creation.com